You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. David at that moment is expecting to die, literally, because under the law, he should have been executed. He should have been stoned to death for adultery and murder. But then Nathan the prophet says, God has taken away your guilt. Whoa, really? And he received grace instead and mercy instead. Get ready for a little history lesson today. Pastor Danny will take you back to the Old Testament, back to some of the pillars of faith who lived long before Jesus came to earth. You'll discover why these men are considered righteous. Pastor Danny will explain how God's mercy was evident in their lives, even though they were sinful. And today, right now, you can have the same mercy shown to you for your sins. It comes through Jesus. He died to give you the opportunity to have your life covered in grace. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Romans chapter 4 as he begins his message, Footsteps of the Faith. Romans chapter 4. Grab your Bibles. So just to refresh our memory, Paul the Apostle is being used by God in penning the book of Romans. And as he starts out, he's kind of like prosecuting attorney on behalf of heaven. And what he's looking to do by the Holy Spirit is to get the world to realize that they're guilty, all the world, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. As he culminates it, when we cover chapter three, he gives a message of hope because nobody's going to be made righteous. Nobody's going to get to heaven based on their own merit, their own righteousness, their own good works. So there's got to be another way. It is by faith. And the object of the faith is the Messiah, the savior, Jesus Christ. And in chapter 3, go back, look at one verse, and this kind of sums up chapter 3. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So God tells us the purpose of the law wasn't to give you righteousness or get you to heaven. Now, there's nothing wrong with the law. Ten Commandments, absolute perfection. And what the Ten Commandments does is show us we can't keep them. It's not an excuse for failure. It's just a realization that you have failed. And so there's another way. What's the other way? Faith in Jesus Christ. That was hard for a lot of Jews to accept. That's hard for a lot of people to accept. But with that thought, you pick it up in 
chapter four, verse one, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter, in the matter of righteousness? And how do you get righteousness? If in fact, Abraham was justified by works, by what he did, he had something to boast about. Now, if you stop there with the thought, the idea is he had something to boast about in comparison with other men, other people. He might look and go, well, I'm more righteous than they are, but it doesn't stop there. He had something to boast about, but not before God. When you stand before God, (laughs) it ain't going to work to say, well, I was better than them. No, 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 no. For all have fallen short of the glory of God not the glory of other men. I mean, you look hard enough, you'll find somebody and you'll go, they're worse than me. (laughs) Excellent question in verse three. What does the scripture say? Stop there for a minute. What does the scripture say? And it's a good question and it's a specific question. What does the scripture say? There are a lot of books out there. People ask me often, uh, somebody asked me just recently about uh book that's part of a group of books called the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha contain biblical type writings, and yet it's not the Bible. It's not included in what's known as the canon of scripture. Canon means the rule. God used men, but he had the guidelines they followed to determine what's the Bible to be comprised of. And we have the Bible, and this is the word of God. But there are other books You can get historical things. You can get some biblical things. The Apocrypha. One of the books, two of the books of the Apocrypha are 1st and 2nd Maccabees. And in 1st Maccabees, it makes this statement. Was not Abraham found faithful in temptation and was reckoned unto him for righteousness? 1st Maccabees is suggesting that Abraham was righteous based on the way he resisted and his ability to resist the temptation of the enemy. The Mishnah is another group of writings, but it records Jewish oral traditions passed down from generation to generation. The Mishnah comments on Genesis 26.5. And Genesis 26.5, and I'll read it, simply says, Genesis 26, verse 5, Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. And the Mishnah comments on that. And it says, and we find that Abraham, our father, had performed the whole law before it was given. So the Mishnah is suggesting he was righteous based on his works. What does the scripture say? Well, you got to pay attention here. Now he quotes in verse 3 of Romans 4, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6. So wait a minute now. Genesis 26, 5, the Mishnah is quoting from the Bible, Genesis 26, 5. Yep, Abraham obeyed God. Wait a minute. Genesis 15, 6, he was declared righteous by faith. He was credited righteousness, which is correct. He obeyed God or he was made righteous by faith. Both. That's what the whole book of James is about. Faith without works is dead. 
You'll see that more clearly in the passage as we move on. But again, some Jews would be reading this and they'd be going, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Abraham's not righteous by what he did. He obeyed God. Yeah, but that wasn't the basis of his righteousness. Verse 4. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. You don't get the paycheck and thank the employer for the gift they gave you. No, you earned it. You earned it. You worked for it. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now, as they're trying to digest this and maybe not agreeing with it, you're telling us Abraham was wicked? You're telling us Abraham wasn't righteous by what he did? Come on. And so the Holy Spirit now prompts Paul to add another figure, a Jewish figure, and Abraham is the number one dude in the Jewish culture. He's the originator of the Jewish people. He's the number one guy. But if there's a second, I'm going to suggest to you the second is probably David. Verse 6, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes from one of the Psalms that David wrote, Psalm 32. He quotes, verse 7, blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. You know the inspiration for those words, Psalm 32? Most of us know the story. I don't want to assume everybody knows the story. King David, a man after God's own heart. But what a failure. One night stand with a woman named Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. He tries to cover it up. Doesn't work. He has her husband, one of his mighty men in the Israeli army, killed on the battlefield. And then he takes Bathsheba to be his wife. And he lives as a hypocrite for who knows how long. We aren't told how long, for years. Until Nathan the prophet one day points the finger in his face, confronts him in his sin and his hypocrisy. And David at that moment is expecting to die. Literally. Because under the law, he should have been executed. He should have been stoned to death for adultery and murder. But then Nathan the prophet says, God has taken away your guilt. Whoa, really? And he receives grace instead and mercy instead. They might not have accepted the argument that Abraham is wicked, but they knew David's mistakes. Everybody knew David's mistakes. And then he asked the question again. Verse 9. Is this blessedness? Only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Is it for the Jew or for the Jew and the Gentile? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? Now, before we read on, you need to at least by faith believe how important circumcision was to the Jewish culture. 
it was required by the law. And man, if you're going to really serve God and you're going to really be right with God, you're going to make sure you circumcise your kids. And it was anathema not to. And so excellent question. When God credited righteousness to Abraham, was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. How long before? Well, if you're a note taker, and I don't have the time to turn to the passages, but when you look at verses like Genesis 16, 16, and then Genesis 17, 24, which tells us in Genesis 17, 24, that Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. Ouch. But it was at least 14 years after God declared him righteous by faith that he received the sign of circumcision, a reflection of his faith. Verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he's the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised. In order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he's also the father of the circumcised. Who not only are circumcised, but I underline this whole next statement, very important. But who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. That's a crucial statement. I want to pause here. We'll finish the chapter in just a minute. I want you to say this with me, and then you'll know you're awake. Okay, you ready? Those who are true spiritual descendants of Abraham prove their heritage by their walk in life. I stumbled. Say it again. Those who are true spiritual descendants of Abraham prove their heritage by their walk in life. In John's gospel, on one occasion when Jesus was having this discussion with the Pharisees and religious leaders, they point out to him that we are Abraham's descendants. He says, I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you're not his spiritual children. Because if you were, you would do the things that Abraham did. If you're not tracking totally, look, even an outward thing, that you do religiously, that has a great foundation and reason behind it, if the reality of your life is not changed from the inside, nothing outside religiously is going to make a difference and it'll never get you to heaven. Never. True spiritual descendants of Abraham. Let's finish the chapter, verse 13. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value. Promise is worthless. Because law brings wrath. And where there's no law, there's no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. He's our father in the sight of God in whom we believe, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, 
Abraham and hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He's too old to have kids, and yet God promised that the blessing is going to come through a kid, through a child, but he's too old to have kids since he was about 100 years old. And Sarah's womb was also dead. She's too old to have kids. It's going to take a miracle. It's going to take a miracle, child. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. A miracle, child. That is why. It was credited to him as righteousness because they believed in the coming child that would take a miracle to produce. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Isaac would be the miracle child that pointed to the future child, the savior of the world, Jesus the Christ. He was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. And it's your faith in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. And that is your only hope. That is your only hope of making it into the kingdom of heaven. And so let me go back to the heart of the passage. What's the heart of the passage? I think it's verse 12. He's also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Here's the deal. If your life does not reflect the footsteps, Abraham's path and his walk of faith, if there's not similarity in your life, You're not a true spiritual descendant of Abraham. And you really ought to question, are you really saved? Are you really headed for heaven? What are the characteristics? Well, there are lots, and I've tried to kind of summarize them. You want to know what they are? Good. He followed God's call in his life. You don't follow God's call when you decide to. You follow God's call when God calls. I've shared Jesus with people that are on their deathbeds and they've rejected Jesus. I have been amazed at that and I couldn't understand it. But Jesus said, nobody comes to me unless the Father draws him. You don't come to God when you just decide to. You come to God when the Spirit of God moves you. And so you better not miss those opportunities when God's moving you. God might be moving somebody today. Everybody knows when God's moving in their life. Everybody knows. It, it's not usually an audible voice. It's, it's not an audible voice. It, it's very rare that you're an audible voice, but you know, you know God's calling me. Genesis 12, verse 1. Here's what it tells us. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. Just reading that verse, you can't appreciate Abraham's obedience to God's call in his life. You can't appreciate it. You got to do a little more reading. You got to do a little more studying. 
Now, I've done that, and so I want to throw some things out to you that I think will help us really appreciate Abraham's following God's call in his life. For example, Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2. Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. Joshua said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshiped other gods. That's Abraham's background. That's what he was doing when God called him. He was worshiping other gods. Genesis chapter 11, just before what I read about God had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, your father's household. You go back to chapter 11, and here's what it says. Verse 31, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans. That's where Abraham was living. That's where he grew up. Why is that important? It's the area today of Iraq, Kuwait, Turkey, Syria, that area. It's also in ancient times called ancient Mesopotamia. In Abraham's day, Ur was a city of progress and luxury. Archaeologists have unearthed three-story buildings, indoor baths, cosmetic supplies, well-equipped kitchens. They've also discovered clay tablets used in schools. That's ancient school books. And these clay tablets have revealed that students in those schools were studying sometimes, most of the time, three languages at one time. They were very smart. They were very educated. It was a very advanced civilization. So when God called Abraham, he was not only leaving family and friends, he was leaving a life of comfort. He was leaving a life of security. He's going to have to trust God. He's going to have to trust God for the kids. They're leaving the best schools. He's going to have to trust God for taking care of him and his family. A lot of people can't wait to leave their hometown. I don't think that was Abraham's deal. <laughs> it was a great place to live. If you look real carefully at the text, I think there's an indication that Abraham, when he first followed God's call, he didn't go all in. He didn't obey completely. What do you mean by that? The end of verse 31 of Genesis chapter 11, here's what it says. He went out leaving Ur of the Chaldeans, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. Why would he settle in Haran? That's not his destination. That's not the land of promise, as we call it, as the Bible calls it. Why would he settle in Haran? <laughs> Good question to ask. One of the main gods of Ur of the Chaldeans was the god Sin, interestingly named, the moon god. Abraham and his family would have worshipped the moon god, among other gods. The moon god had two principal places to be worshipped. One was Ur of the Chaldeans. I bet you never guessed where the second one was. Haran. I'm not reading into the text. Listen to what it says, the next verse in verse 32 of Genesis 11. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. 
And then chapter 12 opens and said, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. But it wasn't until dad died that he obeyed completely. Thanks for joining us today to study the Book of Romans on the Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings by visiting ccfstpete.church. Once you're there, just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest videos. If you have any questions or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send us that email. In addition to that, we'd love to meet you in person. So if you're ever in the St. Petersburg area, feel free to join us for our weekly services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Check out our website for service times and all the information you need to join us. We're also live streaming our services for those who are unable to meet in person. So please don't let distance stop you from worshiping with us. Find out more on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. That's all the time we have for today, but we hope that today's teaching from the Book of Romans has encouraged you. Be sure to join Pastor Danny Hodges next time, right here on The Living Word.